Welcome back to Shifted. Today we are diving into part three of our three-part series on how to make an adoption plan. We've heard from Yvonne, who is the first person someone would contact if they were in an unplanned pregnancy. We also spoke with our birth mom caseworker, Haley, and she did a great job of painting a picture of what the process is like to assist birth moms up until the placement of the child. And to wrap up this series, we have Anna Abraham from our post-adoption department on the pod. She is going to tell us about the lifelong support Gladney offers birth mothers, adoptees, and adoptive parents. Well, let's get to it then. I'm excited for everyone to hear from Anna. Roll the intro. We have Anna Abraham joining us today. We're so excited for you to be here on Shifted. This is your first time to be on a podcast, right? Yes, I'm very excited. Well, Anna, do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Anna Abraham, and I've worked here at Gladney for four years. I started as an intern. Um, Outside of Gladney, I am a mom of three boys. And yes, it is always a fun time. We have a good time and enjoy lots of rough and tumble. But that is most important about my life right now. When you were in high school, what what did you want to be when you grew up? So I was thinking about this question because I knew y'all were going to ask it and I had no idea. So when I look back in my yearbook when I was a senior, it said that I wanted to be a firefighter. So (laughs) that did not happen and I don't think that lasted long, but apparently in high school I wanted to be a firefighter. That's amazing. Well, um, let's also fast forward through high school. What, uh, What is your education background? What did you study? Where did you go to school? I went to Texas A&M. I knew I wanted to go there. Since I didn't know what I wanted to be, I started out as a general studies major. They called us general studs. Um, And then quickly kind of realized I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. Um, I studied history and also have a coaching minor, which who knew that was a thing, but it is. I did a lot of that kind of stuff in college. I coached volleyball teams and, and things like that. But after college, I kind of took a gap year and went and um, worked at a group home for troubled teens and really realized while coaching and history were really fun and great, I wanted a little bit more relational work um, and kind of figured out that working with people in crisis was really where my niche was. And I look back on that now and see how learning about history was really important because learning people's stories and where they come from is really how I can best do my job as a social worker. So now you're here at Gladney and you're with post-adoption. Can you kind of describe what your job looks like? So my job as a post-adoption specialist basically means I talk to families about anything, any question they may have um, throughout their life. They may call Adoptive parent may call and ask me, how do I tell my five-year-old that they're adopted? And we'll talk through that. Or they may, um, a birth parent may call and say, I'm really struggling with um, the choice I made. It's really causing me a lot of grief. And we'll work through that. Um, And then an adoptee may be 18, 35, or 85 and call and say, I think I'm ready to search out my birth family. Can you help me with that? And we work through that. 
you said throughout their life. So that means post-adoption is not just the services that Gladney offers during the time that someone's making an adoption plan for their baby, but also forever. Like you said, 85? You have 85-year-olds? Oh, I've had, I think, a 93-year-old person call me before, and they wanted to know where they came from and tried to help him figure out at least something from his background. Wow. And and we have those files, like, we have files that old. That's amazing. So we have to keep files forever. Forever. So what does a typical day look like for you? For me, I mean, every day is different. There's right. no complete schedule, organized, whatever. Post-adoption gets a majority of the calls that come into Gladney. And it could be somebody wanting records, somebody having a question or anything. So I just cold call answer questions. Um, But it could be a five minute answer or I could be on the phone for two hours with someone. Um, Generally, people call into post-adoption, not necessarily when great things are happening. Usually they are struggling with something. They may feel in crisis um, or be ready really to pursue. Most of the time people who've called, who are calling post-adoption have been wanting to call post-adoption for quite some time. It could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years. So for them to make that call, it's a big deal. So it's really important to us and to me to be able to answer the phone when, you know, when someone calls. So I, I do my best to do that. Of course, it doesn't, isn't always possible, but because when people are ready, they're ready. And I may call back and leave a message if I didn't get that call and then they won't call me back. And I, I won't ever know, did, did they get the answers they needed or were they just too fearful to call back? So placing a child for adoption means that, um, a woman has relinquished her rights to the child, which means basically she no longer, um, has any authority, over that child. It sounds very cold and rigid, but it really it's a kinder way. We used to say, and, and oftentimes people hear um, that someone gave up their child. Well, we don't believe they gave that child. They placed that child with a loving family. And so really it just means that, that, that they made a choice and signed some legal documents to say, I am no longer this child's legal parent, um, but I am placing them with a new parent. Amy and I often say when we're in the classroom speaking to students that it's a parenting decision. And so language is important. We choose to use the phrase place for adoption for that reason. Mm -hmm. And it's also very intentional. Another way to say that would be to make an adoption plan. Zooming out a little bit, we have a three-part series. You are part three of our How to Make an Adoption Plan series, and we've already spoken with Yvonne, and we've spoken with Haley. At what point do you come into the adoption process when you're working with a good question? Generally, it is six weeks post-placement. Really, it just means when their caseworker, like Haley, is finished with her time, then she will move them to post-adoption. And it's somewhat seamless, but we try to have a little bit of a, um, hey, this is Anna Abraham. She's your caseworker. If you ever need anything, you know, please feel free to reach out to her. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every client will, you know, continue to contact me a couple times a week or anything like that. Really, it kind of is quiet for a little bit from most of our birth parents, And then they'll call when they need something. But some of them do call right away. They want counseling or they're struggling or they just have questions or something like that. And I may hear from them then. 
So when you're working with a birth mother and, and, and communicating with them, what's the most common question or request? And does your, do you have like a standard answer for every birth mother? There are no standard answers. Had a feeling. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the most common thing that we hear from birth parents in the beginning, you know, closer to when they first place their child, is when will they hear from the family again? So our most of our adoption plans include a post-adoption agreement um, that's open. And openness is all variations from pictures and letters on a set schedule to they email, they text, to they have visits, things like that. But our standard post-adoption agreement between an adoptive family and a birth parent is that they will receive an email with kind of an update on their life and some pictures. Every It, it starts off the first year, maybe every month, three months, six months, and on and on until after the second birthday, it's about once a year. Oftentimes, a birth parent will reach out and say, I haven't gotten my update. When am I supposed to get it? You know, that was a very traumatic time in their life. They may not really understand what the schedule even means. And so they just want to know, am I going to hear? I want to know how they're doing. Have you heard anything from the family? And so we kind of talked through, you know, what their schedule is and kind of what's going on. There's generally more to it. Obviously, they're they're having a lot more thoughts and questions and maybe some grief um, is in that. And so we can kind of talk through what our post-adoption services are for them to how we can help them through, you know, supporting them through those times when they may have three months until their next update or something like that. So I really love when they call early on so that I can kind of make my mark and let them know that we're happy to hear from them and that we're happy to help them know when, you know, what that schedule is going to look like. And that if the adoptive family say they forget or don't send it, you know, they're welcome to reach out. And I'm happy to reach out to that family and say, hey, guys, uh, we're looking for this. And, and they generally will just send it on. Anna, you mentioned services offered for birth parents after they place their child. Can you talk about what those services are? Sure. So we have several, well, multiple services. Really, if a birth parent calls us and they are in need, we will do everything we can to help them. Probably our biggest service that we do provide for birth parents is counseling. Now, that looks a little different um, based on the birth parent, but what that means is part of it is my job, but part of it is also my job to help find them a counselor. little confusing. So say a birth mother calls and she is really struggling with grief and loss and is like, please help me. So that time of crisis, I will talk with her, support her, normalize things for her, let her know that this grief is real and that it's lifelong and that it is not one day and then the next, and hopefully get her in a place of understanding that, you know, maybe it's time to seek additional help. We have learned at Gladney that it is important to find counselors for our birth parents outside of Gladney. Just the name of Gladney can be triggering because that's a traumatic time in their life. So it's really important to us to find a counselor in their area that they can attend that does not, you know, it's not the big Gladney. It's someone that they can find support with. So I'll help birth mothers find a counselor in their area, and then we will pay for um, sessions for them to attend um, to help them work through some of that grief. And that can be they come to us and they get six sessions of counseling and they're good. And then they call me two years later and like, I'm struggling. And I say, great, let's find you a counselor or 
let's go back to the, where you went before. Let's do that again. So it is lifelong. It can be, we pay for birth parents, um, some who are reuniting with their adoptee from 30, 40 years ago, or they're searching for their adoptee 30, that are 30 or 40 years old, and they're just really struggling. Maybe they've never worked through some of that grief, learned good coping skills. And so we'll seek out uh, counseling for them in their area, whether it's here in Texas or all over the U.S. Um, we hope we can find someone that is supportive to them. What about the um, like group um want to say group sessions, but they're, they're birth moms, support, support groups. groups. Thank you. Um, and podcasts now, and I follow so many on Instagram and, and listen to them. Do you, do you often tell the birth moms like, Hey, maybe you can. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, we love support groups. I, I believe in my opinion, um, whatever, whatever that means that support from other birth parents yeah. is probably one of the healthiest things for a birth mom, because no one knows what it's right. like except for someone else. So Gladney actually supports a support group. <laughs> That's funny. Um, of It's a peer-led support group. It's two birth moms who lead this support group, and it's virtual. So anybody can attend, and they kind of just share their stories and support each other through that. There are also some others that I recommend. Some are a little more therapeutic. Um, some are, and some are a great fit for birth parents, and some are some are not. Also, there is there's some great podcasts. I'm glad you mentioned that because there's some great podcasts these days. I have had some birth parents tell me that hearing other women share their story has helped them so much, and they they didn't talk to anybody about it. You know, they didn't share their story themselves, but hearing other brave women do that has been almost as healing as anything else that they've that they've had and I am so thankful for technology and podcasts and things like that just to be able to add another resource to our collection and to have their voices heard themselves absolutely Anna what was the name of that support group you mentioned so the support group is called resilience um, but it is done by an organization called the table you can find them the table DFW I believe they have an Instagram um, as well as you know it's probably on Facebook and things like that. And then the podcast that I really love, I think there's several, but the one that I love is called Birth Mothers Amplified. We've made a list of all of the podcasts and support groups that Anna listed, and we'll make sure to get that in the show notes. You mentioned earlier that sometimes you help navigate reunions with birth parents and their the child that they place for adoption. Have you ever sat in on one of those? Can you explain what that was like? Yes, this is um, an important part of my job. I help set up visits for birth parents on a regular basis, whether it's part of their post-adoption agreement or just something that just kind of comes out. Um, we can facilitate those visits here or I'll help set them up outside. So I oftentimes get to be a fly on the wall for these visits. And some of them are yearly where a birth mom will come and the adoptive parents come and bring the child. And we have a little playroom and they just kind of get to enjoy each other for a couple hours. Um, then they could be older where the kids are a bit older and they just kind of sit and talk. I've had some visits with an adoptee who is over 18 and they're meeting birth parents. I haven't had one where they meet them for the first time. They generally don't do those at Gladney, which makes me very sad because I want to see it. But I ha have had them here where they're all kind of reuniting after a couple years or maybe the child, the child being over 18, maybe the adult adoptee um, 
is in a new phase of life and they've come to Gladney to to see where it all kind of began. I did get one visit that is particularly stands out in my mind. It was a birth mother who placed a child and I don't remember the why, but she never met the adoptive parents. And I got to facilitate this visit where the adoptive mom and the birth mom met for the first time. And it was so impactful. Both of them were just sobbing because they both, while they had some sort of communication, they had never seen each other in person. And it really was truly a beautiful, magical thing that you hear about for them to be able to hug each other's neck for, you know, what has taken place since then. And I, I, I think about it often when I do visits because I want them all to be like that. And they're all wonderful. But this one was just extra special. So I have a question. I'm just curious. The DNA testing, like, has that changed your line of work? Has that changed post-adoption? Yes. DNA has changed our entire department. It happened about a couple years ago. We all came back from Christmas break, and I had 12 messages. I think we had 12 messages on our phones between, you know, the several of us. So we start calling people back or whatever, And several of them were asking about DNA. And finally, I was talking to a client. I believe it was an older adoptee. She was in her 50s. And I was like, you are the fourth person I talked to today about DNA and that you've made a match and you don't know what to do now. And she said, well, you know what it is. And I was like, well, no, enlighten me, please. And she said, well, we all just got DNA tests for Christmas and we all got our results back. And I'm like, oh, that is exactly what happened. And it, and really, it seems like it was like nothing before then. And ever since, it's been, I mean, I've talked to three people today about DNA. So it is every single day. People either making matches with someone or being contacted with by someone who, you know, for whatever reason, found their information, even though they've never done DNA. Generally, when we hear about DNA in our department, It is from someone who is being contacted and they are in shock of some sort. Whether or not they wanted it or not, that varies, but it is still a surprise. And so they just want to know, well, what do we do? What can we do? What am I allowed to do? And the answer is you you can do whatever you want, but here's what we see. Um, Here's what's normal. Here's how to prepare yourself. Here's some things to think through if you're wanting a reunion with your birth family and, you know, how to make boundaries and set expectations and and things like that. So the the short, long answer is DNA has changed adoption across the board, not just our department. So you're we've talked a lot about the services we provide for the birth parents. What about on the other side? What about services we provide for adoptees or adoptive parents? Mm-hmm. Do you guys work with them also? Yes. Um, while half of my job is birth parents, probably the other half is a quarter adoptive parents, a quarter adoptees. Um, adoptive parents I mostly hear from. They're struggling with um, talking to their child about adoption. Maybe they were on their way to soccer practice and um, daughter in the back says, mom, what does it mean that 
you know, I have a birth mother or, you know, what, does she ever want me to come live with her or crazy questions like that. And or, kids will do that on the way to soccer practice, soccer practice, just out of the blue. Yes. Sorry. I tell parents all the time, you were on the way to soccer and they're like, how did you know? I'm like, <laughs> I know these things. And so we talk through how to talk to their child about the questions that they ask and our advice generally is be open and honest with your child at their age appropriate level. They know them best. They know what words they understand and things like that. But we also tell them to don't be afraid to answer those hard questions. It may not be something you're comfortable telling them, but it's better to tell them now so that it is what it is versus them finding out later from us over 18 when it's much easier for a parent. That is generally what adoptive parents need. Sometimes they may need some medical information. Maybe their child has um, some stuff going on and they're trying to figure that out. And we may need to reach out to a birth parent and see if there's any medical history we might have missed from before or any new medical history. Um, Those tend to be the biggest things for adoptive parents. Now, adoptees, we obviously don't hear from them until over 18. We cannot talk to an adoptee without a parent's permission until they're over 18. And that's usually they want to connect with their birth family and they want to know what the process looks like. But there's a lot of counseling in that of just kind of talking through, you know, expectations and and what that could look like. We used to have field trips. Well, we still have field trips. We're going to this year, but we would have a panel and one of our guests was an adoptee who explained that she had to go through counseling before meeting her birth mom. Why did she have to do that? So that is part of that mutual consent registry that the state of Texas does. They have, I believe, three different steps. So if they, birth parent signs up, adoptee signs up, and they match The first part of the process is they have to write a letter to each other. It's called a non-identifying letter. And what that means is it can can have your first name, but it can't have location or, you know, phone numbers, address, anything like that. It can only be your first name and a little bit about yourself. So first they will exchange these letters. And then if that all goes well and then they say, okay, yes, we'll keep going, then they can, they must do counseling. It's an hour of counseling and there's a set questions and I can't remember all of them. Um, But they are, you know, how do you feel about this? What do you expect from this? So they have to go to a counselor and the counselor will sign off and send something to the state saying, yes, they completed this hour of counseling. And then the third step, once both parties have done those steps, is they basically have to say again, yes, I'm ready to receive identifying information about the other. And what's interesting is pretty often one side or the other will get through one or two steps and then kind of pause. They just, whether it's for a year or six months or five years down the road, they just kind of, you know, take a break. They're not quite ready. Maybe the counseling brought up some things or maybe they're like, oh, this is really happening. We, we it's, it's different in each case, but once all steps are completed by both parties, then they'll get each other's information and then they're f- free to you know, communicate however they choose. It sounds a lot like you're trying to manage or set their mm-hmm. expectations so that they can put up you know, any boundaries and, and prepare themselves for that. That's a major event. Talk about a birth mom who just her story stuck with you. Yes, it is a little sad story. We had a birth mother who 
had twins um, and she had them early. She did not know she was pregnant. So she delivered maybe at seven months or so, two twins, a boy and a girl. And she's just the sweetest person I've ever met in my life. Was so thrilled to be able to place these children with a loving family because she knew she did not have, um, she was not in the right place in life to care for these kiddos. And they were in the NICU for, oh, several months and and had some medical stuff so she would call me every couple months or every month and ask me to reach out to the adoptive family to see what their sizes were she wanted to send them gifts Um, birth parents can send gifts to the adoptive family for the first year and vice versa any size they want and then after the year it has to fit in like a 9 by 11 envelope or something like that and she would always call me and say can you find out their sizes I found some cute clothes I want to get them some stuff and and so I would reach out to the family and she was hitting that one year mark or no it was after the one year mark and she called me I was like Anna I had twins I get to send two envelopes that are 9 by 11 I'm like yes you do absolutely and so we we definitely built a relationship. I helped her get into counseling. She found a wonderful counselor that really helped her um, through her process. It was a struggle for her, partly because she didn't know she was pregnant. And then when because it was such a shock of giving birth, she didn't know what she wanted as far as post-adoption. So her post-adoption agreement was a very standard one where it was just letters and she did not want visits. The family was open to visits, but she just thought that would be too hard for her. So she did not want that. Um, so almost the twins were almost two years old and a sweet birth mom passed away in her sleep. Her mom called me to tell me and I was devastated as was her mom. And we sobbed on the phone together and talked about how I, I shared with her, I'm like, no one has made an impact on me just by her conversations and our talks together like her and this sweet lady just sobbed with me and told me how much she appreciated Gladney and what we have done for her daughter through this process. So long story short, um, we are still working with this family. This birth mom's mother and I have become great friends and we have been able to kind of figure out how to navigate a new relationship with this adoptive family. And we did a visit with them for the first time, maybe three or four months ago. And so they were able to meet her. This was their only daughter um, that passed away. And this woman has just built this beautiful relationship with this family. They are so honoring to this birth mom and want this, her mom and family to be involved. And it is just one of those picture perfect things that you hope for, for something that was so tragic because it's so important for these kiddos to know where they come from, especially when this birth mom was just the best, sweetest, wonderful person, changed my life before she even, you know, passed away because of the words she would say to me and things like that. And so I don't even know what else to say about her, but the story continues and it's you know, the respect and love between these two families and how they're joining together. And they have a new post-adoption agreement that has visits twice a year and emails and all of these things um, that the birth mom didn't choose because she couldn't, but now is is even more organically evolved through through such a tragedy. 
Wow. Anna, thank you so much for sharing that story and your words were beautiful. And I, I just, I can't imagine what everybody went through, but I'm glad that they had you as a support system too. I've heard that happening before where a semi-open adoption will organically become more of an open adoption. Do, do you see that? Yes. And that is actually what we advocate for. Mm-hmm. Gladney being in the middle of it mm-hmm. makes it strained and mm-hmm. kind of black and white, mm-hmm. right? So part of why we moved from mailing updates to and from to direct communication through email or things like that is to help that direct communication grow more organically. And I encourage families and birth parents, they'll call and ask me about something. And I'm like, well, feel free to reach out to the other side and see what they think. And if there's any trouble, I'm happy to help. But it will be better if, you know, you reach out directly. I do want to ask, what is your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job is working with birth parents. I think I told you when I was first figuring out what I wanted to do, that helping people in crisis is really where my passion lies. I don't like to like pat myself on the back, but my boss tells me all the time that I have a natural empathy for people. And being able to listen well to someone who's in crisis and really struggling with trauma or grief or anything, it fills me. And so that is my favorite part. And and mostly that's with birth parents, um, but occasionally with adoptees or adopted parents as well. So I would say to sum up to my favorite part is just being able to answer that phone and listen to people. Because while there's always logistics and things that people need, whether it's an address change or something, there's always more to it. There's a story there that is just aching to be told. And if I can ask that right question and and hear that right thing to help settle something that's um, uncomfortable, then uh, I'm so thankful that I get to do that. Thank you for coming in today. We appreciate it. I will remember that story always. All right. Anna was such an amazing person to interview for this last part of the series. Her dedication to serving the women and families she has connected with was really touching. I know. And I just can't stop thinking about that special birth mother she spoke about and their sweet connection and how their relationship continued on with the birth grandparents. All of the professional women we spoke to from Gladney in this series were all so vulnerable and honest when speaking about their work. Right? They all did a great job of explaining what the modern adoption process is like. It's so different than it was years ago, and I think it's important for people out there to know how adoption works today. I think anyone out there listening who may be facing an unplanned pregnancy, maybe they know someone in an unplanned pregnancy, or even if they are considering becoming a social worker, can all take away new information from this series. And just as a reminder, if you or someone you love is experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, you can contact Gladney numerous ways. From our website at gladneyadoption.com or our 24-7 hotline, 1-800-GLADNEY, which is 1-800-452-3639. You can always just call and ask questions. We're here to help you. Thank you for joining us for the How to Make an Adoption Plan series. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Shifted. Shifted.